Weight adjusted stack of bagels. Fraud Weight kicks cranberry one to three ratio. Watch your attitude. Abby. Jesus Christ, Doc. You disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's episode is Another Round. Did you giggle a little bit because you got your name right? What a life. (laughs) I know. I listened to the Thor playback that was out. When's Thor? Last week? Two Two weeks ago? ago? And in the beginning of the episode, I go, I said it, I was like... It was like my most professional intro I've ever done. I was like smooth. Welcome to Science of the Movies, a podcast. And I was like, as I just smoothly said, I'm Abby. It's beautiful. It was really funny. I do enjoy um, how you explain that because the yeah. reality is out of our listeners, I don't think the same people will listen to Thor as will listen to another round. Uh, couple of little things one is i have to explain something to you because like the other night i was like oh sorry i'll get around to that i just was out for my jewish birthday and you were like lol what (laughs) so i'll take this opportunity to explain to you and everybody out there what is a jewish birthday Sometimes I forget I'm from like a whole culture. Like when I think about like other cultures with other counters, I'm like, cool. But I feel like with Jews, that people really don't like Jews. <laughs> but some, like they don't. There's just so much hatred and I feel like no one wants to hear about Jews. But we actually have a really complex and very rich culture and tradition. So let me just explain the fact that we have an entire other calendar. Right. With a whole other year and months and everything oh. that is completely different from the other calendar right. that we like go by. And so I was born on the month of Adar, the 29th day in the month called Adar, okay. which kind of coincides with March-ish. Um, so I'm March 9 and the 29th of Adar, but there's like another thing with Jewish calendar, which is, and we're on like year five, eight, five seven eight four or something like that's the year um so we have a leap years but our leap years don't have a whole day okay it's a whole month to catch up with to get back in sync with the general calendar so every two to three years yeah every two to three years a jewish calendar needs a month just to catch up with the rest of the calendar and all that was figured out by some person like hundreds of years ago and there's actually like documents on like the back of like the talmud or whatever which gives the the years of the leap year for like ever okay someone sort of worked it out so there's like a reference and i was born in a leap year and so my birthday only comes around if it's a leap year oh wow which is cool yeah. So, and the thing about Jewish birthdays is that it's like when it's your birthday, it's like very spiritual, very special day. And you're supposed to have like sort of powers to ble- give people blessings. So, and that only, it's like, so my birthday only comes around every few years. And so when it does, it's like, it's a very auspicious day. And my family takes it very seriously. Like my dad only celebrates my Jewish birthday. Like he doesn't, like that's when he wishes me happy birthday. 
Wait, that's so also how... his date. Like, obviously. So, in yeah. terms of when your Jewish birthday is, how many? How often does that happen then? Two to three years. But yeah, so I've got I got my two birthdays, and then my my English birthday, as we call it, is this week. Right. March nine. So I've got two birthdays. But yeah, we have a whole other calendar with yeah. months. That's amazing. I find it, you know, I do find it like it's one of those things where I'm always I'm always interested to learn about about like your culture and your heritage and, and you know, these stories that we have. Because for me, I don't know is it a is it just growing up in Ireland or whatever, but like I just don't have any connection to the concept of Jewish or like Judaism other than TV. So when like when people talk about um you know when you when you say that you're like, you know, when you say kind of things like um that people don't like the Jews, I don't know if it's just because of where I grew up. To me I just I don't understand it. I don't know where it come like it's not something that I can quantify in any way in my mind to go like where does that come from? Because I just don't know that it, is it something that exists in where I grew up. I'm not. I'm not saying that I I would believe that there is not anti-Semitism in Ireland. I'm just saying that I just don't. I didn't experience it mm. around me. Yeah. To understand it, so then it, like oh. when when it kind of was this thing where it's like oh it's prevalent in in like all over the world today and people people talk about it and I'm just like going I just don't have a a background knowledge to mm. understand what is going on this is the thing about with with being a Jew it's like I feel like I've grown up with so much anti-semitic hatred and it follows me around everywhere for me it never goes away personally ever ever it always comes one way or another I feel like it's getting worse it's coming from all sides like Jewish denial the denial of Jewish experience the denial of Jewish existence the denial of a Jewish presence is happening from all sides and sometimes I feel like the shame of being a Jew follows me all the time. And sometimes I want to say, no, I have a rich culture. Like people are so wanting to hear visibility about every other fucking culture these days, like kind of my lefty people, yeah. you know, representation, representation for this, this, this. We want everyone to be represented. We want to voice everyone. And it's like, except the Jews. I feel like we are just hated. And sometimes I want to be like, no, we have a rich culture and rich history. And I want to share that with everybody too. I don't want to have to feel shame of being a Jew because of that since the mechanics of the world somehow means yeah. Jews get hatred. I'm like, no, I have a very rich culture. We also have our own calendar with our own new year. It isn't just the Chinese, you know, we also do. And like, but no one wants to hear it. And so sometimes I want to be like, fuck, like we have a rich culture and here's a bit of it. Here's a bit of it. And I would like to be represented properly as well in movies and TV. It's every other culture. And it's like, when's it going to be our turn? to be well represented, to like have Jewish people not be played by people that aren't Jewish constantly and put on accents, you know? And like, what about that? Like, what about us? And it's like, fuck, like I want, I want to also be proud of my heritage. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's my statement. <sighs> All right, let's, let's get into this movie because it's going to be a ride. <sighs> okay, fine. All right. It's another round, Thomas Vinterberg. Um, Let's go. You ready? Yeah. Summary. I actually wrote this summary like a year ago. I just want to tell you. 
Thomas Winterberg directs Another Round, starring the Dutch Ra- James Rebhorn, the Mads Mikkelsen. I wrote that a year ago. How so is he much not more James than James Rebhorn. He's not a James Rebhorn. He is supposed Harrison Ford. He's the he's the Harrison Ford of of Denmark. What did I, Frida? <laughs> Slap exactly. myself. On a night out, four school teachers chat about psychiatrist Finn. Hang on, I've got this. You got this. Skardard. Skardard. Skardard? Skardard? Sure. Who theorizes that having a blood alcohol content of 0.05% makes you more creative and relaxed. Martin, played by Mads, is currently in a miserable rut and is inspired to experiment. The results are great and the group, Martin, Tommy, Peter and Nikolai, decide to partake in a study and document the effects. The rules are maintain a blood alcohol level of 0.05 during the day and no drinking in the evenings or the weekends. At first, things are great. Eventually, absinthe gets involved and things unravel in all of their lives until eventually tragedy strikes and sobers them all up, but not for more than five minutes because the Danes just love to drink. (laughs) It's funny writing that after I saw it the first time and I'm like... Do I even agree with my? I mean, there's. I'm, I'm definitely putting a bent on it, and I, and I agree with what I've said, but I'm like on reflection. I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe I disagree with myself a little bit. Okay. Nonetheless, let's get into some general film chat. And Abby, um, tell me, did you like this movie? Um. Whoa. <laughs> I had never no idea what is going to happen. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, okay. I've been thinking about how to say this. <gasps> okay. I was, was a, okay, yeah. No. Yeah. A movie like this is a lot of work for me. Like I live in a constant state of anxiety and watching something that's so clearly going to fall to pieces is just, I find it so uncomfortable And I just don't enjoy the experience. So I can appreciate the beauty, the storytelling, the intention, the acting, but I don't enjoy the experience. So I found it very difficult. Okay. Well, thank you for watching it and coming on this ride with me anyway. It's all the more valuable. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) I'm guessing you Uh, loved it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking loved it. I mean, I thought that there was a dream of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, the whole meditation of that sort of middle age was interesting to me. So, it was interesting to me just to sort of meditate, like you know, at least for you know half of them, you know, on paper, life's going pretty well. Like they've done it, you know, the thing. Especially the younger one, beautiful wife, lovely children. And I, I thought it was just the, the meditation on, you know, what happens next. Yeah. And, and, and that sort of roughness of the next stage in life coming to like a, a, a maturity. I just found that sort of interesting to think about. So yeah, that was interesting part of it to me. Um, 
I do find that interesting because, you know, like me and you, we're sort of coming into old and like another stage in our lives. And I have been thinking a lot about that. Like how do, how do you grapple? Um, and this really explored that, like the anxiety. I'm banging my hand down a lot. I'm trying to be conscious of where all the banging is coming from. And I'm like, I'm seeing now. I'm banging my hand when I'm talking. Um, yeah, I think about that a lot. Like how do you go into that next stage when your youth is kind of over? Like, you know, and then you have to deal with the consequence of your choices in the next stage of your life. Yeah. And that's sort of what everyone is doing. So I found that meditation interesting. Uh, and I And I also found that, the, like there was enough levity like there were mates mates like hanging around friends like the alcohol in a sense um we can get to this in the themes but there was a lot of like scenes of like them hanging out that made me chuckle and smile a lot as well but uh, I, yeah, I yeah. loved this movie for one major reason <laughs> um we'll get into him in a second um <laughs> before we get into our cast chat um wink <laughs> Um, just to kind of follow through on what you just said there though I do I like I agree with you that it was very interesting and I and it seemed as well that they were each slightly a different age so there was a slightly different stage of life happening and different kind of different things being explored by each one of them and and challenges in their life and I and I completely get that um I, I there are things in this movie that I'm not I'm not going to get into right now but there are things in this movie that are very close to me that um I think is probably one of the reasons why I I was uncomfortable watching it yeah and I knew it was going to be like that so like I went into it knowing it and yeah. um and that's just you know uh certain things uh, with with people in my life but then it's also probably expected considering I come from a culture that is massively troped to be drinking enormous drinkers and stuff and and so you do kind of see people yeah at certain stages of their life in, can I, can in I, characters yeah. like that so like I, I get what I get what you're saying I do think it was interesting to kind of see those stages but I guess maybe where my uncomfortableness comes and we this has come back before anyway is like the like over and over again we've kind of had these conversations where it's the realism for me I just I don't enjoy the realism I find it too Mm. difficult but what there was just there was a couple of scenes a couple of things that happened where I was just a bit like the I mean like it leads up to it a little bit but that fucking at the end when he gives the shot to the kid Mm. Well, do you know what? Like can that I just whole relationship flow? that was going on there. Yeah. Can I just, before yeah. we talk about this, it's funny because the Irish, you know, there's a, there's an Irish troped out drinking culture and then this movie is also the Danish drinking culture, which was sort of a revelation to me. Why would I think about Denmark ever in my real life? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I was like, I had no idea. It was the fact that I was like, is this movie celebrating a drinking culture? Is it damning a drinking culture? Is it just saying, here's a drinking culture? I do have to say, as you're saying that, I think it's hilarious because I'm like, in terms of thinking about like Denmark having this drinking culture. Uh, similarly, it's not something I ever would have thought about before until I went to Copenhagen. And when I was in Copenhagen, really? I don't know if it was me and my Irish friends or if it was Denmark, but we, yeah, we just drank the whole weekend. And and what you notice is like, especially around Copenhagen, like they've got like the canal, or like, sorry, the central river. 
and when you're you go and you you go to the Seven Eleven and you get packs of beer and you just go and you just sit by the river and it's just packed like it's packed full of people just sitting on the on the pavements along the side of the river just drinking beer and even when we were out at night um I remember walking down the street past the 7-Eleven and getting beer in the 7-Eleven and then drinking that at the side of the street while there was some band playing on the street like like people with musical instruments just on the street playing and there was pat like there was so many people on the street wow so yeah I don't know maybe it just is a there's so many things about Denmark and Copenhagen that's that's super awesome but yeah we definitely we definitely drank a lot while we were there I'll just just say that (laughs) so maybe it is a thing maybe it is a a big drinking culture in Denmark that we just don't hear about so and then if it is a big drinking culture if I equate it then to Ireland and it's kind of like well yeah I mean teenagers in Ireland would be drinking like that for sure Mm. always we would have been drinking like that um but we wouldn't have been talking to our teachers about it. And that's the difference. Yeah. We wouldn't have had that relationship. So mm-hmm. I was wondering, I was like, is this a Danish thing? This relationship that the teachers and the students seem to have with each other. And, you know, another thing is like the students all seem to take school really seriously. It was like on one hand, they drink a lot, but all those students seem to really care about the matriculation. Yeah. Um like that scene with the parents and the teachers of all meeting, you know, I was like, okay, weird, but yes, it doesn't look at the kids like they're little shits. And at any point in the movie, they are respected by the teachers and there is a respect Mm -hmm. vice versa. The students respect their own education and they respect the teachers. And I thought, is this a Danish thing too? Like schools being good, (laughs) good schools, good teachers, people caring. And so it, it didn't at any point say, these kids are shits. It was like, this is the drinking culture. These children also really care because you can be both. Yeah, you can drink a lot and you can care a lot about your your vocation yeah. or your education. It didn't straight up damn anybody. But I, yeah, I did find the mutual respect or the care that the students had for what they were doing. Mm. It sort of worked nicely as a balance yeah. against all the drinking. The only thing I didn't like was that scene at the end. It was that like the Dutch courage thing, as you said, with yeah. the bottle of the drink. And even though it worked for him, I was like, you haven't helped that child. You haven't helped him overcome his anxiety in order to be able to face the world. You've just created a dependency. You've introduced him to something that now when he goes into university and is panicking in all of his university exams, that he knows what to do before his exams. And, and what what is that kid's future? That's what I felt. As that scene was ending, all I was thinking was, what is that kid's future? Is he yeah. a future alcoholic? Yeah, because, so, yeah. and we'll get, hopefully by the end of this episode, yeah. we'll, we'll be able to both say, there's nothing good about alcohol. Ooh. Don't get it twisted. Okay, favorite scene. Speaking scenes. of, I'm currently drinking a, a gin and a rhubarb and raspberry tonic in honor of this episode. Brilliant. Just so you know, I would clink my ice, but it's all <laughs> melted. <clears throat> all right, I'm going to talk about my favorite scene real quick. I need to bring it up right now, and which okay. is Mads Mikkelsen. When he started dancing at the oh. end, it was like, I was like, I think I'm good to die. Like, I can't believe this is really happening in my life. I can't believe it. After <laughs> years of, 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 total um admiration of Mads Mikkelsen I actually get the gift of him dancing for like a while it was very satisfying it was fantastic he was incredible his movement was incredible it was um it was it was wonderful it was a wonderful scene 
It was incredible. I, I, I was like, fuck the whole rest of the movie. It's, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe he's dancing like this. Nothing else matters right now to me. All my problems faded away. And all I could see was that he did this. Like the man, the legend agreed to this. And I had to do my research of, <laughs> he's been a professional dancer for a long time and YouTube has a lot to show for it. That's all I'm going to say. That's all oh, I'm gonna say. I mean, there's I was like, you didn't just come lot. up, like, yeah, that that, that didn't lot. just come out of nowhere. There, that that movie. There's a lot of jazz, <laughs> jazz. There's a lot of mads. <laughs> Did you have a favorite scene? There is one scene that I definitely really enjoyed, and it kind of comes after the the dinner party scene. So we get that emotion, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. But then after the emotion, you have the just them on the street there yeah. was just something really freeing about it there was just something yeah. like they were just messing you know what they were like arm wrestling each other and they're just yeah they're just walking race friends yeah the walking race was so funny <laughs> but it was it was just this kind of nice light-hearted moment of people of like supportive friends supportive friendship yeah. at that friends. moment where it was like it wasn't about forcing a conversation or anything it was just about and it wasn't let's ignore what you're going through, but it was like, let's try to all cheer each other up and let's kind of, mm. I don't know. There was just something about it that I was just yeah. like, this, it made me smile a lot, that scene. Yeah, it was like, this isn't about drinking. It's about these men being with each other. Yeah. And this, unfortunately, is their lubricant, but I was like, this is what they need. It's not about alcohol. They need this. And like it, to see him lighten up like that, it was beautiful. I love that as well so relatable okay let's yeah. get straight into cast i mean okay let's just get everyone out of the way so we can fucking have a fest but <laughs> uh we have nikolai play well let's first of all thomas vinterberg this is a i think it's the second time he's directed mads in um a film the first one is the hunt which has been on my list for ages so yeah and i thought there was a lot of awesome camera work here as well you saw like the, the way the camera was pretty boring um before they started drinking or and then and then as soon as the alcohol starts coming in there was so much good camera camera work so thomas vinterberg director then we have nikolai played by magnus milang i'm gonna get all this wrong i'll try my hardest tommy who's thomas bo larson peter lars rante rant whatever the i'm rant look forgive me and um annika maria bonnevi and well, we have a couple other people but that's pretty much it and then we have martin martin i mean played by mads mickelson who's clearly i mean this movie without him this movie would just be a pile of predictable plots lines like there's no question mm. then mads is there and he just doesn't he sells fucking every bit of the character journey so any any cast comments or is it just mads uh it's mostly just mads but it's not to disregard the rest of them because i think that they were all great like i thought the cast was great there was nothing there was nothing about i didn't have anything where i was like oh they're terrible and mads is great it was just everyone was great but because i think of the story that martin like Martin's character story was was the most kind of connected to and it was the most human um in in terms of like touching into something that doesn't get shown on camera that much 
the rest of them it was kind of standard you know like Nikolai's a bit like you know his his marriage isn't as great as it all looks because they've got lots of young babies and and he feels a bit kind of emasculated or whatever uh Peter just doesn't have anything going on because he's just never kind of seems to have connected with anyone and Tommy is just the kind of the grouchy old dude who's just a bit like meh whereas Martin was the only one who kind of Martin's story was the story that we always see being told by the female side I think Mm, interesting yeah and he he did yeah so yeah his was the real story and, and like he did such a good job and the moment that he takes to himself like in that corridor with his like his silhouette Whatever he's feeling, the emotion is so strong. I wouldn't put it down to one emotion. I don't think he can either. All he can do is just dance and celebrate. But anything else to say about cast? Mm-mm. Okay, themes. I thought Annika was great. Sorry. Annika was great. And she, she was, was just also that. I loved her. I mean, she was so beautiful, obviously. Um, and he was so, like, it's just funny because they were a perfect family. She was loving and he was loving and beautiful, but like this just seemed like so ordinary, so normal, both of them. And I don't think that I could damn her either for, you know, what she was doing. She played that really well. She was fantastic. Right. Yeah. I love that scene when he's like, she's like, I'm only here to talk about the kid's birthday. I was like, I've, d- I've done that before. If you talk about one thing other than the exact thing that I've said I was here to do. And I'm like, don't ever do that. I'll walk away. (laughs) It was real. Okay. Themes. There's a running theme here with that um, Kierkegaard, um, Kierkegaardian philosophy actually comes up quite a lot. And then explicitly, obviously with Sebastian's exam, he talks about failure and anxiety. Um, But there's a few references to this, uh, this idea of philosophy I'm not, a, I don't know much, a lot about philosophy. It's definitely like a, um, the liberal arts, definitely like a, a black, a sort of like a, a void in my education. Um, but I did listen to a podcast, which makes me an expert, obviously. Um, and just to briefly sort of skim over this idea, the Kierkegaard anxiety talks about anxiety being like a necessary part of change. And anxiety being something which is a consequence of having freedom of choice when you have so many choices and you don't know which choice is going to be the best choice and you worry about the consequence of all your choices. And on the other side of that is having taken a certain path and that anxiety of was it the right choice? Every choice that you make means you don't make another choice, means you don't make infinite choices. And that's just how it is. Um, that's life, but yeah, like that stage of the fear, like you can't have that next stage of the exhilaration of having made a choice for yourself or having found the best choice for yourself. You can't, and then doing it, you can't get to that without the stage of anxiety and fear. But also doesn't it change who you are? Like, isn't that what happened? It changed who he was. He was this person who had this opportunity to go to do a PhD, to do like this and that. And that's the person that his wife fell in love with. And that's what his life was. And then he made the choice to become a different person. But it's never too late. That's essentially what he did. It's never too late. Like you said, it's never too late. He can still have everything that he wants. I think it's the middle age thing of like, 
I'm running yeah. out of time. I'm close find, to death find, yeah. now than find I was. Find your path back to the thing that to yourself is going to yeah the 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 moments where you're not the moments that will allow you to live the life that you're happiest with that you will have the least regrets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where he is. And it's yeah. funny because his anxiety of like, am I running out of time to, is that, is it, is this the end? Like it's clearly from our point of view, it isn't the end, but you feel old. You feel like you're running out of time and you've yeah. done all the wrong things. And he, his instinct, I feel like in the movie is to numb that anxiety through alcohol. Yeah. He thinks he's going to get out of it through alcohol. And in the end, it's like, no, you need to feel this fear. The, that was the main overarching thing for me for the entire movie. Everything else was secondary. For me, the whole movie was about male emotion. And it was about the showing of male emotion and mostly Mads. Because it was the... the or Martin, sorry. But there was still reservation in the rest of them. Nikolai was pretending like everything was fine. It was like, yeah. I've got a beautiful Joking. wife. What can I, what do I have to complain about? She's loaded. Joke, Tommy joke, was joke, like, joke. you know, yeah. hey, I'm, you know, living my life on my own. I'm great. I don't need nobody. And Peter was just kind of like, oh, I'm content. They were all lying, clearly. Whereas at that dinner scene, Martin sat there and just let it be shown that I'm not okay. And I don't know why. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm, I'm worried for me and who I am and who I've become. I'm worried for my marriage, the woman that I love. I don't know what to do. And it was such an incredibly beautiful scene. And as you said, the way he played it, every single expression on his face, um, every moment that he picked the water up to try to give himself a minute to breathe and try to hold back the emotion, but still also just letting it out in front of his friends. And then I guess, as you're saying with the friendship thing, like it does come into it because that show of support from them, even though they yes. still did look a little bit like we don't really know yes. what to say because you're crying. But they were also like, they were dismissive, overly no. dismissive. And it continued throughout it as well. It continued throughout the him trying with Annika. Um, the, as you said, that, that whole camping trip, which just was like this this joyous moment in him. And then... As, as it continued through, the hope that he started to build until that dinner scene moment when he realizes that, like, she's already moved on. And this this hope that he had built up and this um, this attempt that he was making to find his way back was too late. And that kind of sadness then that comes over him and the sorrow that you see then when it's him alone in the house and caring for Tommy and everything. And it's just... There was just everything about the way he carried himself all the way throughout the movie was an expression of male emotion and letting it out there. And I just think it was incredible to see it on film. And I and I also do still think what I said a minute ago about it. Um, I do still think that it's a story that gets told very often about women. Mm-hmm. You know, the husband's cheating. Fighting myself. Yeah, the wife's love. just like drinking yep. just to try to get over it and then yeah and she has to go out and then she'll have to find some other man or something to make her feel special mm-hmm. or some shit like that so i just from that emotional aspect of the breakdown of a marriage i just thought that it was beautiful to see from his perspective and the hurt in him yeah beautifully beautifully said and, and while you were talking like just a couple things pop up in that initial scene i think tommy's like oh you know you can find someone else like he tries to 
he tri- I don't know, he tries the tactic of like brushing it off. But I love how Nikolai yeah. insists. Nikolai insists. No, I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that with you, Martin. And I love that mm. oh, fucking hero moment for Nikolai of like seeing him and, 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 and sitting in the vulnerability of the scene. Tommy tries to brush the vulnerability off and say, you're yeah. better than that. You're better than that. You know? And then again, him saying like, I'm good without Annika. Fuck, fuck man. I don't need that. And then with Tommy, like helping Tommy out and Tommy risks. And he says like, mate, you don't want this. Yeah. You don't want this. Like, don't, don't just accept like, uh, I fucked it, whatever. And just to like cover all of that regret up with these other awful layers, which probably include alcoholism in there. No, you don't want this. I'm rooting for you guys. I'm crying as I'm thinking about it. And it's so much harder to put away the alcohol and just be vulnerable and and to say like, I'm not, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my life on, I'm going to risk it. And that's coming back to the first theme of this anxiety of like, don't numb it. Don't cover it up with all this false bravado, feel the anxiety and then like make a brave choice. And the the journey it's like so beautiful and it's just mad he just brings it with his facial expressions do you think he's handsome it's a debate i yeah i see handsome isn't it weird where it's like i don't know i don't know it depends on his face on his hair i feel like i do it depends on the character he's playing because he can play anything really so In this, I thought he was handsome. In Hannibal, he's creepy as fuck. So yeah, it depends knows? on the hair. The, I looked at his filmography and he has some crazy hair hair moments. And it's definitely like shaves it all off, or he'll have like a very receding hairline. Like the, you know, it'll get it'll it'll vary. Okay, let's let's get from the themes. Let's put all that aside. Let's talk about alcohol. But first, welcome to welcome to our first section, trope of the week. Ah, uh, Abby, <laughs> what's your trope of the week? Okay, I forgot to write one down. So while I'm trying to remember what it was going to be, uh, Frida, can you I'll give me one? I'll go first. Uh, I, so my first, my, I've got two. My first one was was everything's working. Let's ruin it. <laughs> let's push the movie <laughs> along by ruining everything that's kind of working fine. Yeah, exactly. that was my first trope. Like, oh, that, I think I, I think I have that as a question for you later on. It was like, why did they go higher? To push the Why story bother? to its conclusion. <laughs> and the second one I had was a Chekhov's, I called it Chekhov's dance moves because they mentioned, oh, you're dancing. Uh, oh, he can dance, dance. And I'm like, oh, are we going to see this dancing? And then at the end, you're like, dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Referencing the dancing. That was my two tropes. Did you remember there was There was one thing. So I don't, I don't have like a specific thing, to be honest with you. I just have to admit it. Call it out. Abby messed up. Um, but I do remember having a little bit of an eye roll moment, all right, when there was like, there was that little montage of, as you said, everything's working. It was like suddenly, suddenly Martin's the perfect teacher and suddenly like Peter just closes all the blinds and they can sing harmoniously perfectly together and it's glorious. And like the the tiny children are winning at football. And, um <laughs> I don't know Specs. what Nikolai was doing with his students. There was something, there was a moment as well with Nikolai's students as well, wasn't there? And it was just like, there was just like a little montage of all the moments where suddenly they were all excellent teachers because they were a bit buzzed. It was just like, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love when they were all cheering on uh, Tommy. You are the best teacher. You're the best coach ever. Oh, Just all, all the friends moments. Like anytime that the camera turned and all the friends were there, I was like, oh, yeah, that was, yeah. I love you guys. That was lovely. All right, let's just get into science then. <clears throat> it's a very clear breakdown. Number one, we'll talk about study design. Number two, we'll talk about alcohol. So study design. So obviously they did a study. We'll, we'll, we'll put it up front. The study they did was total bullshit. We'll put it up front before we even... Okay. Before we even like break it down. I'm not going to try to do the whole like breakdown exactly what they did. I'm just going to talk about how, how are you supposed to do stuff like that. But yeah, obviously what they did is... Wait, so sorry, hang Wrong. on. So the study itself is bullshit or like their design. is bullshit? Oh, the design, their study design, like how they decided oh, okay. to make a study. Oh, it yeah, just yeah. It, yeah. it isn't the yeah. way. Okay. So that, let's <laughs> Open just put laptop it up. type things. Open laptop, <laughs> step one. Exactly. So I just want to say, let's go back. How would you observe people in a natural environment outside of a lab? Observe things. Yes, because sometimes, Abby, that's the only option. Sometimes you don't yeah. have the choice of building the laboratory conditions. And sometimes you have to observe something naturally to set up, justify the conditions like that you need for an experiment. So you'll first have right. to do a study in the community, get that, get that done, then say, let's set up an experiment. For that, you need ethics, for example, yeah. funding, right? Um, so sometimes you have to do it. So psychological studies, sometimes it's required to do, um, to do studies in the community. And what you would seek to do is a correlational study where you observe variables and see if they correlate. Okay. My stomach is going crazy. Where you observe variables and see if they have a correlation. A correl I have a study. You have a study? Yeah, I have a study idea. Great. We're going to go back through all of our um, past episodes and we're going to study the variables of Frida's stomach gurgling versus episode we record and see if there's a correlation. Exactly. A correlation is a mathematical quantity. So therefore you need to actually quantify all of these things. So it's you, you can't, you have to correlate mathematically. It's an equation. So you need numbers. So therefore, whatever it is that you're observing, you have to have it in numbers. So if you have the blood alcohol level, that's a, a number. Let's say we're putting it against performance or wellness. You need some way to quantify that. And what you might do is a series of questions with a scoring system. This is all very common in psychological studies and mental health studies that someone will design a format that's a questionnaire and give a score for each answer and sum up the score and say, this person's at 10. Now they're at 12, 11. The blood alcohol level is here. And so you'd have to do something like that in order to see if you actually correlate those two things. You would do this without interfering with any of those, without any kind of manipulation, for starters. So, you know, that's sort of where it goes wrong initially. Uh, you don't, in a correlational study, we're just trying to see if two things are connected. You don't control or manipulate any of the variables. And so with a correlational study, we're just like observing something phenomenon. Um, you don't ascertain a cause and effect. You just see 
that two things are correlated because as we know abby go on what's the saying no correlation is not not causation causation you just want to see if two things are connected uh so well i guess the question then goes from there how would you how would you then see that blood alcohol level impacts wellness is another question first are they connected yes no second what does one cause the other that's a, for that you need what's known a, a causal inference you need to infer that one causes the other and to do that, you need to set up a proper, a proper experiment. They try to do that. Like they try to set up a causal effect, cause and effect kind of inference by changing it and then observing the results. But there's no way in that design that you could possibly infer causality from what they've done. It's impossible. Yeah. You need to set up a proper experiment. Um, how do you determine cause and effect relationship? So you need to actually design a study. You need a researcher to manipulate the study environment in some particular way, like to introduce a small change in order to measure the effects that their manipulation have had on the outcome. For example, you would keep the alcohol consistent, like maybe it's exactly the same thing that you're giving them because they're just drinking whatever the fuck they want, whatever they want, right? Yeah. You'd have to, for example, do, no, it's one shot of alcohol or two or three or one every 10 minutes for whatever. And then you have to set a task that's like the same task that they keep repeating and measure the performance in some quantifiable way in order to say, well, this increases with that. There's no other, like doing what they're doing, there's no way to get any causal inference. There's another thing as well, right? It's not just good enough to say, oh, we improved when we had alcohol. The other thing you need, of course, is the control group. And so that is when you have and probably a lot of people here, but they did, they have a randomized double blind, double blind control trial. You see a lot of studies, you know, you got a lot of studies, like, especially with COVID people sharing me in on studies where they go, Oh, this drug caused the, that, or this, the, the, and I'm like, this is a retrospective study, which is nice. It just lays the basis for what is the actual thing that you need to actually look at one thing causing the other, which is a randomized double blind control trial. So that is, it's not good enough to have people having alcohol be better. You need to show that people that don't have the alcohol don't do better. Yes. So this right. is how it works. Someone enrolls in a study and then their you know subject ID gets randomized, put through a randomizer machine and you know either they're given the alcohol or some magical placebo, which they can't tell is an alcohol. <laughs> okay whatever. Um, so they're given one or the other, the person giving it doesn't know the person receiving it doesn't know. That's why we say double blind. Nobody knows who gets what it can't bias the outcome in any way. Cause nobody knows. And that's really, really important. So they don't know. You don't know. Then they do the same task and they measure performance. So you would prove alcohol increases performance. You also need to show that the ones that don't have alcohol don't perform better. 
And that's really the only way that you can show causal inference. And that is just very unlikely that that's going to happen. Like if you did a study and, and at the end of the science section, I'll talk about some studies, but you really need some big ass numbers and a very convincing difference between the groups uh, to show that that's a thing. And there's so much variability also, you- in humans that it's like, what's the likelihood that this will ever be proved? Go on. Uh, I was just going to say that also you probably need somebody external to the study. Like Nikolai being the one who's sitting there writing up, writing up his little data and his computer results, you know, mm. some like Martin's doing better. Increase Self-re- volume to whatever. It's just like you're, yeah, exactly. You're self-reporting yeah. on, on um, results that you're a part of. So how do you even know that your alcohol intake isn't affecting how you're presenting things and how you're, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. Like, he, he's funny. It's such a silly little thing that they do and it's cute and everything, but it's like, and it's cute that they're like, Oh, let's try and do this properly and write it like write a little thing about it. But yeah, it's, it would have been, it would have been better maybe if Nikolai had just been like, I'm going to sit this one out and I was going to watch how you fuckers behave. Yeah, they they had it because he's the psychologist. They didn't have his character do a lot of arc with his, you know, his job. So his role was mm. the psychologist <laughs> who can like lay down the justification for running a study. Yeah. It needs to be objective. <laughs> it needs to be an objective measure of performance. <laughs> okay. So that that's the sort of environment, uh, environment of science aspect of the study design, which, you know, I think it's interesting thing in general it comes up a lot in my job. Causal inference is, is a huge thing. Proving one thing causes the other is sort of like very hard and has to be done through a particular pathway Um, and trying to do it through another pathway. You need such convincing data in order to do it through another pathway. And that has happened over, you know, history, of course, we've talked about this for people that weren't believed, who did experiments on themselves, things that were not ethical, things that were not in the sort of scientific design, but are so convincing that it makes people turn their heads and then, you know, sets up a, you know, you always got to have that um, randomized control trial. Let's get into science. It's some interesting stuff here. Um, let's get first into the psychiatrist, uh, Finn. Abby, can you help me with his name? <laughs> Wait, where did I write it down? Skirderud. Uh, Finn Skarderud. Finn Skarderud. Uh, so his whole thing about, uh, you know, every, uh, we, we were all born with a deficit of 0.05%. For, poor Finn. He's been misquoted for 20 years. <gasps> no. He wrote a foreword in a book, a book that was like three. Wait, hold on. Yes. Hold on. I don't know what you were just doing there, but that's the banging. This? Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm fondling my mic. <laughs> Frida. <laughs> Not cutting that. Finn Skarsgård. I just called Finn, Finn Skarsgård. So Skarderud. Finn, Finn Skarsgård has been misquoted for 20 years. He wrote a foreword um, on... No. Yeah, on a book that was a book that was like 300 years old and he wrote the foreword. And he wrote in there like artistically. He was just talking about something artistically about something. And since then, it has followed him around forever. Oh. He has said... He's, he, as a psychiatrist, has worked with alcoholics and their families for a very long time. He knows very well the impacts of alcoholism, and that is not something that he believes. Nonetheless, they asked right. his permission 
in this movie. Vinterberg took him out for after a couple of glasses of wine, of course. He agreed. Yeah. He read the script and he agreed for them, them to do it. Um, he's not happy about being misquoted, but he, he, he agreed to be allowed in the movie and they yeah. asked his permission. But no, 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 like nobody believes that. It's terrible. It's terrible <laughs> that oh. that's taken for. I, I feel very bad for him. Yeah. Now, the experiment they do in three stages is number one, let's say at 0.05%. And just by the way, the whole Danish number nota- uh, notation, decimal notation. Right. It's just completely different. They have a completely different notation system with the, where, the, where the, the commas mean one thing, the dots mean another thing. Like, I. Okay. I, I tried to understand the notation, but I honest, I just but, found it difficult to vary. But do we take it the that when they say point oh five, yeah, yeah, and then it, when the text comes up and it's comma five, it's the same thing. Yes, it's not that they were doing more than what was stated. No, no. I don't know if they. It's just the notation that's what it was coming across to me as. No, yeah, it was it was zero point zero five and zero point one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just okay. the notation. It's just completely different. I always knew so about the, the comma. One, the one comma two is point one two. Yeah, and then there was like like zero okay, at the end of the fine. percent. Okay. There was like another little zero yeah, there. That, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just the yeah. I, I found it hard yeah. to follow, and it was just too difficult to learn so quickly. But what I ascertained <laughs> when you know, I could see that there was a particular notation where, and it was like this is a bunch of countries including the Danes. Yeah. Okay. The Danes. So, okay, number one, 0.05 the whole time. Number two is the idea that people have variable BAC that affects them differently. So variable from person to person. Yeah. And then number three was this maximum BAC, or they're called oblivion. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, let's just go back to reality for a second and talk about alcohol. There are, there are many, many health sites, government health sites say that there are seven stages to being drunk, Okay. Okay. Oblivion is not one of them, but if I'm going to say um, what what I think Oblivion was um, in the stages, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. Number one is okay. sobriety or low level of drunkenness. Uh, so it's 0.01 to 0.05 blood alcohol level. Okay. Uh, so like one to two, one to two drinks um, for men and women. So me right now. You right now. Sobriety. to the end of my gin. Yeah. Number two is euphoria, which is two to three drinks for a man and one to two drinks for a woman per hour. So at this point is tipsy, we call tipsy, chatty. Right. You know, that's that's 0.03 to 0.12 blood alcohol level. So this is within that is can't drive, can't Three, excitement. So for men, three to five drinks an hour and women, two to four drinks. The blood alcohol level at this point, 0.06 to 0.25. Blurry vision, loss of balance, tired, drowsy, easily excited or saddened. Sound familiar? I would say... This is my, this is sort of where I've maximum, I reckon. I don't think I've ever gone more than that, but yeah, it's getting worse as you see. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, confusion. I'm going to say oblivion is probably confusion. I'm going to say. 
I reckon. Yes, okay. definitely. More than five drinks per hour for a man or more than four drinks per hour for a woman. Here, it's hard to stand or walk. You have emotional outbursts and a major loss of coordination. You may not be able to feel pain here, which puts you at danger. Right. Yeah. And you might fade in and out of consciousness, which is what people call blackouts. This is when blackouts happen, start to happen. That is 0.18 to 0.3% blood alcohol level. Ready? Next, stupor. Stupor? Okay, here you aren't responding at all to what's around you. You might lose control of your bodily functions at this point. You might have seizures and your gag reflex will start to fail you as well, which means this is the point where you're at risk of vomiting, choking on your own vomit, a la Jimi Hendrix. 0.25 to 0.4. So I reckon confusion was oblivion. Stupa, we didn't see them in a stupa. Stupa is you're shitting yourself at this point. Number six, coma. Self-explanatory, 0.35 to 0.45. Number seven is death. The last stage of drunkenness is death. 0.45 0.45 or above. Here's the statistic. 88,000 deaths in the US annually from this. Drinking yeah. yourself to death. You cannot live on to your 4.5 and above. Um, so those are the seven stages of drunkenness. Sobriety, low level. The euphoria is sort of an excitement is what they were going in between is a 0.5 to 1. The scene with right. the oblivion, I would say, is the point of confusion, after which would be stupor. So it's sort of like the maximum point before... Um, your, your body starts to fail you. No, I was just going to say this just helps a lot because I, there was just certain things that were happening in, and I guess because of the way they were portraying it from like their story and their perspective, there were so many kind of scenes where I was like, I couldn't, because I didn't understand what the equations with blood alcohol level and number of units were, excuse me, sorry for me to really understand how much they were drinking. Like in my mind, I was like, Oh, so what? So they have like a shot a couple of times a day while they're at work just to keep them buzzed or something. But no, if you're saying that they were trying to be probably somewhere initially between stage one and two, then they were drinking like what you're saying, one to two units two, two an to hour. Two to three, I would say. Two to three. From euphoria so to drinking. excitement. So they'd be going between two to five yeah. drinks an hour. And that, and like to me, that's heavy drinking yeah and it's different getting there and maintaining it is actually very different from a science point of view and we'll get i'll get into the whole idea of maintaining that level but it it was just the it was just the whole the whole concept of watching them and trying to understand it was that moment i think when when the kids when it was that reveal that as you said earlier that the kids knew that he was drunk all the time and our perspective is like, oh, he's just, he's doing better. He's teaching better. He's this and that. And it's like, no, everyone's just like, you're, you're drunk. Mm. Like we can see that you're drunk. And if you're drinking that much all day, people must know that you're drunk. So I don't yeah. know. It's just, it clears it up a little bit in my mind. That's so, good. That's good. Thank you. Okay. I'm glad I could help. On the side note, men and women, I think it's very interesting to discuss why it's different. Mm. Why do men and women have to drink more or less to have different blood alcohol levels or to have different effects? And people might think that this is due to the body size, but it's not. It's nothing to do with our body sizes. It's because men have more of the enzymes that breaks down alcohol. 
than women. Oh, okay. Yes. So for women, it stays in our bodies for longer because we can't break down alcohol more. So it stays in our body. It does more harm to us for longer. So we sort of drink less than men because men, they process it much faster. So young men process alcohol like really, really fast and really easily. The issue is for men, especially, is that as you get older, you lose a lot of those enzymes that will break it down. Right. And so for women, I guess that jump from youth to middle age isn't as significant as it is for men who can get away with a lot of heavy drinking. But then when they get, you know, past their 40s, things start to change and I'm guessing a more dramatic fashion than for women. So when you lose a lot of those enzymes that break down your body, it stays in your body for longer. And this makes alcohol move through the body in a different pathway. It has to find a different pathway. And this produces something called, I have to give me a second to pronounce it. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just a thing that's bad, but it's called (laughs) acetaldehyde, whatever. And the problem with that is it invades your vascular spaces. It stops the ability to relax your blood vessels, which causes, what does it cause? High blood pressure. Right. So the alcohol stays in middle-aged men's bodies much longer than it would have in their 20s and 30s. And... The body's forced to put up with it. It produces this other thing, which stops your blood vessels from being able to relax as they would as the blood flows through. Your blood pressure increases, which of course puts you at major risk of heart disease or stroke, heart attack or stroke. Wow. That's really interesting. Mm. It is because I feel like my tolerance for alcohol has never changed. Me too. I have as low a tolerance today as I had when I was 16. Yeah. I never developed this thing where I was able to just drink a lot. I just, I've always, I've always had very, like, mm. even on nights out and stuff. There's definitely times where I overdrank, but like, I just, I just, yeah, I just don't drink that much. Steady Freddy, women. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, I think, um, learning about that that there's a physiological reason why you know alcohol hits men so differently when they're yeah. older and you don't see that with women as much and um yeah when i, when I was learning this yeah. it just made me tell all the men in my life like please stop drinking like you had fun in your 20s and 30s and that's fine and you're young your body can put up with shit as long as you know it's not too bad i know i know i know men that cause themselves limit liver damage i don't know any you know i don't know women that have like the, the men compared to the women like it's very different, but uh, you know, so long as you haven't caused that long-term damage, like you're all good, but like, please stop drinking past the age of 35. It's time to stop. Yeah. There's, um, there's this thing in, in Ireland that like a lot of, a lot of, uh, I've heard said many times, uh, particularly when it comes to men. And it's basically, if you, if you keep drinking the way that you have done, as a as oh god how how's how's it normally phrased it's basically kind of saying like if you don't stop drinking before you're 30 you're never going to stop drinking like if you're drinking as heavily in your 30s as you were in your early 20s you're you're just a drinker like that's it mm-hmm. you're 
that you will be at that bar stool um, for life continuously yeah. for like like that that it's not necessary to say that you will become an alcoholic but it's just like that if you are drinking that heavily it's that dependency is going to be there so if you want to get yourself off it like if you want to kind of limit your alcohol intake and and get a bit kind of healthier and cleaner I don't know if that's the like that's not really the words that I'm trying to use but basically if you're drinking 20 pints a night when you're fucking 23 if you're still drinking 20 pints a night when you're 30 you're fucked which which leads me straight into alcohol dependence we should talk about that as well Mm. because that's exactly the thing can you stop um the thing about alcohol dependence is that it's defined like very differently there's like a lot of ways to define it people will have questionnaires like oh it's like these things do you fulfill these criteria or how many standard drinks i think in the uk it's like 30 to 40 a week or something means dependency but it's it's defined so differently there's no point in really defining it here but the most important points are you know this i think the most useful thing is this sort of the descriptors and and the most important one is can you stop can you stop is probably the most important one but there are other things like does it stop do you drink instead of doing other things you want to do does drinking stop you from doing the things that you want to do like does it you end up drinking instead of you know or can you still engage with the world um and I think the differences uh, can sort of be seen if you look through the lens of Tommy versus Martin, you might see the difference. You know, the most important one being that Tommy can't stop. There's the point in the experiment where they're like, we're stopping. And Martin's like, oh, I'm stopping. Tommy cannot stop. And that's like a very big sign of alcohol dependence. And he reaches for, he was probably always an alcoholic, by the way, from the beginning. Um He's excessive in his consumption as well. You see he's more excessive. The amount of bottles that he is hiding and the clumsiness of it as well. Like he's not being, he's not functioning. He's not hiding it well. He's hiding it clumsily. He's hiding it a lot. He is, the the way he walks into the staff room, the way he can't control himself. The other three, they're sort of able to take it or lead it. But Tommy is the clear alcoholic in the group, I think. And it's made very clear. Yeah. He also drinks rather than do other things as well. We see that. And I think overall, he's much less, if you sort of look back, he's much less curious about the experiment than the others. I think he's just drinking just to be like a distraction and going along with it, especially in that scene with the piano player. He doesn't share the same sort of fascination with the ideas that they're exploring as the others. And I think that he's the clear alcoholic in the group. What do you think? yeah um yeah i find i find tommy quite difficult to talk about okay Um, he yeah he i don't i don't know that i thought that at the beginning he was an alcoholic but definitely i was confused a little bit about the timeline because i was like how quickly did this happen where suddenly he's hiding bottles all over the gym it felt like it was like the same week (laughs) i was like tommy Mm. mate but I, I think like Tommy's story, it, it kind of, it hits on some personal stuff for me. So I find it a little bit difficult to talk about him. Um, but the one thing that I do want to bring up is that I think that he is one of the representatives of this idea that we do with men. And I know we talked about the male emotion, but we, when it comes to like men's mental health and not 
encouraging boys or teenagers or grown men to have discussions around their mental health and around their happiness and and depression and things like that and feeling like the only kind of outlet that you have to turn to maybe is alcohol and I just kind of felt that with Tommy I felt like he's deeply unhappy and he doesn't know how to talk about it and he doesn't know how to fit like how to move forward in it so he is really clinging to the alcohol because it's kind of what's making him feel something Mm. maybe in some way and I just that's just kind of how I felt about him I was just like his his story was the saddest I mean not just because he died but because he was the one that couldn't walk away from it the rest of them could walk away and get what they wanted from their lives and and instead his was kind of destroyed and I just found that very sad thank you well thank you for sharing it and being here (sighs) um it's a tough movie, it man. It must be really hard. I know, it's tough. The thing about Tommy is that he was so real. So yeah. real. It was like, there's a lot of aspects to Tommy, but divorced men, um, you know, post-divorced man. I mean, it's shockingly difficult. And alcoholism, drug addiction, depression, not knowing how to be, how to exist in the world, how to have worth um, is a real thing. And that, you know, the divorce angle for me and seeing that it was, you know, I felt like Tommy was, was a, was a really real person. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like Tommy and Martin were the two, the other two I was a bit met about, but Tommy and Martin were the ones where they were telling very strong stories where it was almost like martin could like it was almost like tommy was saying don't become me in that like yes, at that end. Yes. He's like don't this is your future if you don't go back and and fight for the thing that i know that you want like don't don't follow my path kind of thing but i just yeah. i think i i try i kind of ignored tommy's story for the most part because i was mostly like this is going to go to a horrible place and i don't want to emotionally engage in this thank you Okay, so let's let's move on from Tommy and um, sort of do a race to the finish, but just one more point before I, I list some studies and then hopefully make you laugh a bit, um, <laughs> is the maintaining thing to the experiment because, yes, you reach those levels, but maintaining it is an entirely different idea because the truth is alcohol is a toxin. Your body tries to excrete it however you can, however okay. it can, through sweat and our breath and fucking everything, pee, right? Is so that the body coming out of my eye tear ducts right now <laughs> yes so so that's the reality is as you drink your body works pretty hard to process it and get it out of your system so maintaining a blood alcohol level for a very long time would take an excessive amount of drinking oh. um, and it would be incredibly harmful to maintain such a level because your body's no longer successfully getting rid of it you would need right. to drink a lot and the damage would be would be far. So I think the idea of maintaining it for that long, it's it's, it's impossible. It, it would lead to enormous damage well, cause by its very fact. By the very fact of what you're trying to do means your body is not getting rid of it, which means it's staying in your body and poisoning your body. Yeah. So that is you horrendous. can't just get out of it. Th- would you say like that that is really, really fucking horrendous? Especially because yes. like even when you say like just to get to the, the initial 0.05, it's like probably two drinks an hour that's so much alcohol Mm -hmm. oh my god okay 
Now, I want to talk about real-world experiments that actually did this and what they look like. I've got a couple of studies, real studies. Um, one of them is testing the idea that alcohol makes you speak a for- foreign language better. Wait, can I guess the outcome of the studies before you tell me the outcome? What? What's the outcome of the study? Can I guess the outcome before you tell me? Yes. I think this What's will the work. Outcome? So I'll I tell you how that. it was quantified. Yeah. yeah. So they were self-reporting on their own ability, but they were also oh. tested by the external examiner. How do you think they're self-reported? How do you think the examiner saw it? I think they both, I think that they think they were awesome. And I think the examiner thought that they were maybe not as awesome, but I still think the examiner thought they were better than they were before. Not better than they were when they weren't drunk. So... After the experimental manipulation, they all took the part in the standardized discussion with a, with a, in Dutch with a blinded experimenter, and it was recorded, um, and the skills were rated by two native Dutch speakers who were also blind. Um, participants rated themselves. Okay, listen. Participants who consumed alcohol had significantly, 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 significantly better... I'm drunk. Better observer ratings for their Dutch language, um, better pronunciation um, specifically, compared with those who did not consume alcohol, but it had no effect on their self ratings at all. Oh, so they still thought they were terrible. Yeah. But you see, I believe this because every time I've ever tried to learn Spanish, what stops me from saying anything is just the embarrassment and the awkwardness of sounding stupid. Whereas if you're a bit drunk, you're probably like, ah. (laughs) I I agree with that too okay here's another study this is this is like kind of what they were doing which is they were they were testing to see if the the BAC particular BSE or high one leads to more creativity now this paper there's some highlights I need to read you a target sample of 40 male social drinkers aged 21 to 30 was recruited by Craigslist (laughs) okay 20 participated in alcohol intoxication and 20 in sober comparison studies. So first I was like, okay, fine. Upon (laughs) arrival, the initial breathalyzer, they were breathalyzed and they consent. Um, Participants ate a weight adjusted snack of bagels. After the meal, participants completed the first task, then received a vodka cranberry drink, the dose of alcohol was collaborated by weight and was mixed in front of the participant at a one to three vodka to cranberry juice ratio. Very important. What? The drink was administered in three equal doses over 10 minute periods. Participants were invited to watch an animated feature film, Ratatouille, while they consumed the alcohol beverage. What? Participants in the social comparison condition engaged in the same tasks as the intoxicated condition, including watching Ratatouille. But they did not complete the intoxication procedures, i.e. they did not eat the snack and did not drink a beverage. So I read this study and I just got so distracted by the ratatouille thing. Is this a joke? And the fact this is a piss take. It's not this is a, a joke. real thing. It's a real thing. I have the paper here and I, Abby, this I just want published. to change fields. It's published. What the fuck? <laughs> Bagels. Wait, adjusted stack of bagels. Front cranberry one to three ratio. Watch ratatouille, Abby. <laughs> I wonder if they paid people to be in this study. I think they just gave them a weight adjusted stack yeah, of bagels. Their, their pay was the, the beverage, <laughs> bagels and ratatouille. Um, 
Consciousness and Cognition is the journal that it was published in. Yeah, no, fucking, I've got the whole paper. Don't oh worry about God. it. I'll put it up on the show notes. How good's that? <laughs> I started to look at the thing. Honestly, it was it was very complicated. Like they had a particular test called the uh, the test was called the rat, by the way. So ratatouille, rat oh is someone gosh. like taking the piss here? But it was a particular kind of creativity test that they all took. I don't care about the results, but that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> no, I would like to do that. Okay. Let's wrap this thing up. It's okay. been such a journey. It's been such a journey, but there are real studies that test this. Honestly, I don't really give a shit. Alcohol's fucking terrible for you. Yeah. It's a toxin, so let's not drink it and encourage people not to drink it either. Um, I barely drink anymore, to be honest. Like, I drank a little bit more before the lockdowns. After I've come back from, like, a couple years of not drinking, I'm like, mm, first of all, do I like the taste? I not had, really. Also, makes me feel gin. sick. I think that in nearly two years of us doing this podcast, this is the second time I've ever had a drink while recording. Mm. Yeah, I did it a bit in the beginning as a gag, but remember that remember you got really Moon, drunk. I think, yeah. <laughs> that one episode was slurring yeah. at the end. <laughs> I think it's like I I kind of have this thing as well where I just you you don't have much time. Like, you know, we, we, like, we don't, we don't have much, like, work is so all consuming. And when you do have a bit of free time to yourself, I want to be aware of it. I don't want to kind of wake up at the weekend, just be really, feel really fucked. And I'll be like, oh, I think I had a great last night last night. I can't really remember it. I feel really fucked today. I feel really fucked tomorrow. Now I'm back at work on Monday. And what happened? Amen. I'm a tea person. I like tea. I'm a tea person now too. I just don't like feeling bad. I like to feel good. That's the yeah. truth. So I drink water. I just feel better. It's probably a sign like it's a sign of age. Like I'm getting older. Well, I'm feeling the effects of all this more. And my response is to stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say I, I and it's why I kind of with the movie like this, I think it would almost be expected as an Irish person to have a lot to say about drinking culture. But I was always that person who had one or two drinks and then we'd go to the nightclub and I'd drink water and just dance and just have a laugh and had such a fucking great time feeling like I'm more present in the situation, I think. And I always just felt like crap when I wasn't. And Yeah. Yeah. I love it. We don't have much time on the weekends. We don't have much time on this earth. Let's yeah. spend it, you know, f- feeling things. Um, Until the comet comes and then I'm getting fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Even the feeling, the anxiety, the the good parts, the bad parts, we should be present and feel it all and not numb it. Okay. Let's sort of wrap this up. (sighs) What the fuck? Play the music. (laughs) What the fuck? What the fuck? All right, Abby, give me a what the fuck. Oh, I have two. Give me one. Okay, my first one is the weird random clips of all the politicians that just appeared out of nowhere. Oh, uh, Boris Yeltsin. Oh, I fucking love that. I really love that. What was that? It was funny. It I wasn't didn't funny, get but it. it was a bit. It's just drunk politicians. Okay. At one point, I was like, "Oh, I'm guessing this dude is drunk." But they're all <laughs> drunk. Yeah. I, oh, I love Bill like... Clinton's laugh at Boris Yeltsin. It made me. That was funny. Um. Mine, it's so funny. On that, actually, it kind of had two as well. One is like when he was when he was teaching his big lesson when he was like giving oh, his bullshit is, 30, me- 30 second this movie This is lecture. my second one. 
go. Oh, you this go, go. Okay. The Everybody idea be that like, schools, yeah! Yeah, the idea that any school Woo! student would be so Woo! into history that they clap Woo-hoo! and cheer their teacher. <laughs> Just, no. Yeah, what nah. teenagers are doing that for history? <laughs> yeah, what a good point. <laughs> I know, it was so funny. But my real what the fuck is, so his wife sends him this text and he's like, everything's going to be okay. And then he jumps into the water and all I could think was, is your phone in your pocket? (laughs) Could you imagine his wife being like, Martin? And he's like, comes home wet with his phone. Like, he's like, sorry. And she's like, actually, I changed my mind. Okay. I was uh, at at those Docklands, by the way. I just have to go soon because I've got to get Raph. Like, I'm, I'm on a fucking bit of a tight sketchy this morning so i just kind of want to take it to if that's okay mm-hmm. uh to finish up okay cool final verdicts let's go final <laughs> verdicts um does it pass it fucking doesn't <laughs> can i speak for both of us no of course it doesn't it yeah. doesn't but you know male most very important very important <laughs> these things are blah, 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 blah. okay <laughs> does it pass the here comes the science test no oh oh jesus it doesn't no. <laughs> here is the final Test of Freda's <laughs> What should give it? Abby, you go first. No, I need to know no. what you're giving it. Oh, God. I think I have to apologize to, like, everyone that I know in my life who loves this movie. But I, I have a duty and I have to give it two and a half stars. <gasps> I'm giving it two and a half. For you, Abby. Oh, my God. Something Science. magical Science has just happened. It's total bullshit. What's your score? What's your score? <laughs> Look at you. If I'm really quiet about it, no one will know. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose probably the same. Yeah. I mean, I can't give it any score for science, but I can give it a score for being a good movie. It gets nothing for science. Just because I don't enjoy the movie doesn't mean there wasn't stellar acting. It doesn't mean that it wasn't a well-written story or well-directed. It just evoked emotion and attention that I'm not willing to give, that I don't feel like I want Mm. to engage in. So I wouldn't choose to watch a movie like this. So I'm not going to like, I'm not going to pull it apart because of that. It's like, it's just, it's just not my kind of a thing to watch. But I, but I still can see how like incredible Mads was and, and how, and how well I think the story was, but yeah, there ain't no fucking science in this. None. It's, I was thinking about, just make one comment before we go into the next movie. I was thinking about the whole thing, the difference between you and me. And I actually think for me, um, I'm so emotionally like stifled. Like I've always been incredibly, I keep all my emotions in and movies for me have always been a vehicle for me to explore emotion. Mm. So difficult things that have happened in my life that I struggle to express like emotion about always have. Uh, when I see those things reflected on screen, it actually helps me. Um, explore that emotion in a safe environment so even in films where there's something scary happening and I feel fear it's almost like this is a safe place for me to explore fear Mm -hmm. because for whatever reason if I don't feel safe to explore those feelings in real life or haven't felt safe and therefore have stifled myself movies have throughout my entire life been a safe zone for me to express my emotion 
it's a catharsis. And so it's so, I was thinking a lot about that, the difference between us, but for me, like I struggle with emotional um, display right. and film has helped me and it still helps me a lot. Um, I like to watch things on film that I've experienced because it allows me to get my emotion out and I struggle to do that uh, without it. And so it's, I I was really thinking about that and I think that's really interesting. Both incredibly human, both equal parts of the human condition. Well, it's, it is, it's super, I think it's really interesting this contrast between us because I, I, what you say about it being a safe space, I feel the exact same way, but for a different reason, you know, it's a safe space for me to be able to, yeah, to be able to step away from all that emotion and that anxiety and that stress and that feeling that I, that I might sometimes be overwhelmed by and I can just ignore everything else and just completely fall into something and and just experience that as, as completely removed from everything else. And sometimes it does pull some emotion and, and some things in for me, absolutely, but more in a way where I don't have to connect it with my, with my mm-hmm. life and my world and I, and I appreciate it for that reason. I love how different speaking we are. of which we are different i think it's wonderful and speaking of which abby let us let the <laughs> listeners know what's our next film uh, what well this is the end of the cycle frida so oh, a break now. that's it we're having a break yeah for three weeks and what are we coming back with uh so in three weeks time the first movie we will start back with is the avengers <laughs> i'm really actually excited for the avengers because it's going to be like, look, I'm loving this origin story. I like origin story superhero mm. films in general. Like that's always excites me. But the Avengers is like a lot of new people, eh? Well, the Avengers is the first time we get to pull them all together. Oh, okay, We've met okay, them okay. all and now we're going to put them all into uh... a room together and now have to see how these characters, characters we've met individually in their own kind of worlds and their own origins. Now, how, what are the dynamics of how they interact with each other? Brilliant. You know, how does Iron Man deal with Thor? Come on, man. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. All right. Awesome. We're going to have a break, which we needed. This might be, I think I'm going overseas in this break (gasps) where I would, yeah, I'm going to see my family for, meet all my family for his first time in a while. I've got a couple of nephews I've never met and haven't seen my sisters for a long time. So I'm very excited. A bit emotional about that. So um, we'll be back from the break, and then we're starting a new mini series as well, which is just going to be Marvel Catch Up, Operation Catch Up. Yep. Start, um, and we'll tell you that later. Can't we, you just we called it Operation Catch Up. I called it Mission Catch Up for a reason. Mission Catch Up. Yeah. Operation. Mission. Okay. Catch up. MCU. Come on, Frida. <laughs> I don't. All right. This what has been like quite a ride. Abby, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for coming <laughs> along with me in my ride. And you know what? I'm The movie's in between. Like, it's going to be rough. You're giving me Marvel. I'm just going to respond. And I, I appreciate okay. your willingness to come along. And um, <laughs> get scienceatthemovies at gmail.com to send us any letters or Instagram at scienceatthemovies. Please follow us and comment. And we just really want to hear from people so much. Love you all. Love to you all. <laughs> I feel a lot of emotion right now. I just love everybody. Oh my God. All right. Bye. You should play the song. Do your singing now. What a life. What a night. What a beautiful, beautiful night. I've got the whole thing. You ready? 
Don't know where I'm in five, but I'm young and alive. Fuck what they're saying, what a life. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. That we're living, we're living this way. Don't know where I'm in five. What does that mean? But I'm young and alive. Fuck what they're saying. What What a life. life. Come on, Mads. Jazzy Mads. Jazzy Mads. Jazzy, jazzy. Jazzy Mads. Okay. Bye. She'll do anything. (laughs) This is why we should be recording these on video. (laughs) That should be on YouTube, Frida. (laughs) Okay, bye.